Merry Christmas. It's time. If, you, if you're one of those people who are like, we have to wait till Thanksgiving's over. It's over. Merry Christmas. All right. Uh, thank you for gathering today and uh, for being here to celebrate with us, to celebrate our Savior, to celebrate the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. John read that passage out of the Old Testament, a passage of hope that, that talks about the one who would come, Emmanuel, God with us. And today is the first Sunday of the Advent season, and the theme is hope. Hope. We have hope because of Jesus Christ. We're going to continue our series in the book of 1 John today, and then we're going we're gonna to wrap it up for a little while. We're going to finish chapter 4 today, and sometime in the new year we'll finish chapter 5. So we're going to finish up chapter 4 today. Next week we're going to start a new series kind of focused on the Christmas season, and then, um, then we'll get into the new year, and, and somewhere in there we'll finish chapter 5, I promise, okay? I want to finish it out. But we're going to finish chapter 4 today. We've been in the book of 1 John for several weeks now, and uh, John let us know uh, the reason that he wrote these letters to the church. He wrote specifically to the church in a city called Ephesus. And he is John, one of the disciples of Jesus Christ, one of the 12, an eyewitness of Jesus' ministry, of Jesus' life, of Jesus' miracles, of Jesus' resurrection. He was commissioned by Jesus as an apostle, and he wrote these words to us in uh, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. He says, I've written these so that you who believe in the name of the Son of God may know, may know that you have eternal life. And so, we've been in this series called That You May Know. Everybody say, That You May Know. John wrote to us so that we could have certainty, so that we could have confidence, so that we could have hope, so that we could know. So today we're going to look at 1 John chapter 4. I'm going to read a, a, a large passage of Scripture here, verse 7, 1 John 4, verse 7, all the way to the end of the chapter, which is verse 21. The beginning is kind of a review of some of the ideas that John has already taught us in the first three chapters. And, and then verses 16 through 21, he gives us an important teaching on the love of God and, and, and helps us understand the importance of God's love in understanding how we live out the Christian faith. So I'm going to read 1 John 4, 7 through 21, and then we're going to really focus in on the second half of that passage, verses 16 through 21. So uh, let me read, and as I read, uh, you can follow along on the screen or follow along in your Bible if you have it with you. Here's what John says in 1 John 4, starting in verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. Now, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. 
And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the world's Savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. In this, love is made complete with us so that we, have, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. (laughs) For the person who does not love his brother or sister, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this commandment from him, the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Let me pray. God, we love you. And as this scripture points out to us this morning, it's only because you loved us first and you demonstrated love to us and you proved love to us and you made love complete in us so that your love could overflow in love for you and love for others. And so, Lord, as we look deeply into the depths, the limitless depths of your love today, would you move us with awe and wonder at the marvelous, matchless love of God demonstrated through Jesus? Lord, would you help us to understand, to comprehend how wide and how high and how deep is the love of God, and that we would be filled with the fullness of God so that we could comprehend with all the saints the deepness and richness of your love. Speak to us through your word, empower your word by your spirit to transform and change us today, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. All right. Well, uh, 1 John verses, chapter 4, verses 7 through 15, John kind of gives us a recap of some of the things that he's already taught us in the book of 1 John. John wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus when he was an old man. He was in his 80s or 90s. Um, and he, he repeats himself a lot because he really wants to get his point across. And, and so he reviews once again, he says, we need to love one another. He, he says, the way we love is proof of our salvation. He, he says, if we're not loving others, then, then we're not really loving God and we don't really know God. He tells us that God's love is revealed through us when we love others. He also tells us that God's love is revealed through Jesus Christ. We know God and know God's love because he sent Jesus. He tells us that Jesus is the atonement or payment for our sin. In other words, our sin incurred a debt, and Jesus paid that debt by dying on the cross for us. He tells us because God loved us, we need to love each other in that way. He reminds us that God has given us his spirit who who helps us 
to love the way he loves us. And, and then he says, if we confess that Jesus is God's son, then we truly understand who God is and who Jesus is. He's made a big deal in this letter to, to help us understand that Jesus was not just a man, that Jesus was not just a teacher, that Jesus was not just a prophet, that Jesus was not just a revolutionary, but Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is God in human flesh. As we read this morning, he is Emmanuel, God with us. Not like God, God in human flesh. Scripture is so clear about that. So John kind of gives us this review in verses 7 through 15. But then in verse 16, he, he starts to uh, develop this important idea about understanding the love of God. Here's what he says in verse 16, he says, we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. We have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God. Now remember, John wants us to know things about our faith. That you may know, that's the theme of this series. John wants us to know things about our faith. Back in chapter three, he uses this phrase, you can know that you know, right? He wants us to know, he wants us to understand. And in verse 16, he says, we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. He wants us to know something about God's love. He wants us to be certain about certain aspects of God's love, to comprehend, to understand, to know. God's love should not just be an idea. It should not just be a warm, fuzzy feeling. It should not just be an abstraction. It's not philosophy. It's fact. And John wants us to understand the fact of God's love. So what does he want us to know about the love of God? Well, first, let me, um, let me just talk about what this specific word for love, and in the Greek language, there's several words for love. In the English language, we just say love. I love you, I love broccoli, I love sweet potato casserole, thank you Thanksgiving. I had a lot of it, by the way. I know you were wondering, and it was delicious. And somebody also gave me a sweet potato casserole that's frozen that I get to enjoy later, just because it won't even be a holiday, I'll just pop it out and eat it. And I love sweet potato casserole. But that is not the same as the love of God. That is not the same as the love that I have for my children. It's pretty deep love, I have to be honest, but it's not that kind of love, right? So we use the word love a lot in the English, English language. We love everything. I love that, I love this. And when you were a kid, do you remember, you'd say, then why don't you marry it? Do you remember that, anybody? <laughs> right? Love. But in the Greek language, there's, there's several different words for love. And the word that's used here is agape love. Everybody say agape love. Agape love. This agape love that John is talking about is a sacrificial, supernatural, unearned, undeserved love that never runs out. Agape love is based on the one who is pouring out that love. It is not based on the recipient of the love because it's unearned and it's undeserved. And because it's unearned and undeserved, it never runs out because the, the receiver can't mess it up. 
agape love. It's supernatural, it's sacrificial, self-giving. It is the word that in Scripture in the New Testament is used for the love of God. It's used for the love of God. Last week I was talking to Brother Earl Williams after the service. We had talked a little bit about God's love last week, and he came and talked to me and, and said, he was talking about the agape love of God, and he was telling me about a sermon that he preached one time and compared God's love to Niagara Falls, this pouring out of water. Has anybody ever been to Niagara Falls and seen Niagara Falls? Yep. Well, if you haven't been, boom, there it is, okay? Right there on the screen, Niagara Falls. So I, I did some research on Niagara Falls. Niagara Falls pours out 85,000 cubic feet of water per second. Now that doesn't mean anything to you because it didn't mean anything to me. It sounds like a lot, but let me tell you how much it is. 85,000 cubic feet of water per second. So when you get a shower, a 10 minute shower uses approximately four to six cubic feet of water. That's in a 10 minute span. Okay, so a shower is four to six cubic feet of water in 10 minutes. So that means um, that Niagara Falls pours out 85 million times more water than a shower pours out. Okay, 85 million, and even that's a really big number. So I thought, well, let's make the scale a little bit bigger. The average pool, like swimming pool, is about 15,000 gallons, and that's about 2,000 cubic feet of water. I have a pool in my backyard, and it's about 2,000 cubic feet of water, and I can't keep the thing clean. We've had two hurricanes, and it's just constantly a mess, just trying to keep that thing filled right, and it rains, and I have to let water out, and then I let too much out, and then I have to put more water in, and you know, but I love having a pool. Speaking of things that we love, sometimes we say love and we mean it sarcastically, not agape love. Anyway, 2,000 cubic feet of water in a pool. That means if you divide 85,000 cubic feet of water by 2,000 cubic feet of water, that's about 42.5. So every second, 42 and a half pools pour over Niagara Falls, every second. Now I've had to like lower my pool before to get some work done on it and then fill it back up with a hose and it took a day to fill up like a third of my pool. But Niagara Falls, every second, 42 pools, not every day, every second that much water is pouring over Niagara Falls. Now, that's a lot of water. And Brother Earl came back and he said, God's agape love. It just pours and pours and pours and pours, and it's like Niagara Falls, and it never stops. By the way, Niagara Falls has never been dry. It's not like one of those waterfalls where you go in the winter and it's just a trickle, and you go in the spring and it's a torrent. Like, it's, it's pouring all the time. There's pictures of Niagara Falls when, it's, when the, there's like ice and, and it's frozen, but the water is still pouring. God's love is like that. It never runs out. It's hard for us to even comprehend. It is inexhaustible. God's love is supernatural, sacrificial, unearned, undeserved. It never runs out. 
and the closest things that we can imagine. It's kind of a, a shower head of God's love. And that's nice, a nice warm shower, you know, that's great. After a long day, a swim in the pool. But God's love is inexhaustible. Another way to think about it is by comparing it to other kinds of love. C.S. Lewis, who wrote a lot of books, he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and, and those books. But he also wrote some um, kind of books on, on theology and teaching, and he wrote a book called The Four Loves. And he talks about these four different kinds of Greek words for love, and the first one is storge. Storge, and, and that's like familial love. That's like a love that a mom has for her child. Right, it just kind of, you just have it. You don't have to work for it, it just kind of happens. You, maybe you spent some time with your family this Thanksgiving and you might not like them, but you have to love them because they're your family, right? It's just this kind of familial love, storge love. It's, it's, it's love for family, love for those who are close to you, love for your, like, you know, your people group. It's that kind of love. The, the second kind of love is philia. And, and, the city of Philadelphia, right, is the city of brotherly love. You, if you remember that when you learned about William Penn and in history class, U.S. history class when you were a kid. And, and this is brotherly love. This is the love of friendship. This is the love that you have for people who you kind of bond with. You've, maybe you shared, you, you know, you, you played on a team together growing up and you just have this friendship and kinship and bonding. You know, uh, maybe you served on the battlefield with somebody and you have this bonded love. There's some firefighters in the room, the guys that you serve on shift with or, or police officers that serve together or, or you know, whatever. It, it's this kind of love that, that bonds us together. Uh, we're not family, but we, we love each other. We care for each other. It's this friendship, brotherly love. The third kind of love is eros. This is romantic love. This is when you fall in love with somebody. This is butterflies in your stomach and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And um, all the love songs that have ever been written, you know, to tell us about this kind of romantic love, eros. And then there's agape. Now, these other three loves, storge, philia, eros, these are all natural loves, right? We understand the, the love that a mother has for a child. We understand this love of, of brothers, this kind of band of brothers, this, the fraternity, the sorority, that, that we love each other as friends. We understand romantic love. We've all experienced that head over heels kind of thing before. But they're all based on something, right? This familial love is based on family. You, you know, it's this natural love. A mother has a child and she loves that child. This philia love, this friendship love is based on shared experience. It's based on affinity. This eros love is based on attraction. It's based on feelings. Some people, they just love to be in love, right? They just want to chase that feeling all the time. But agape love is not like those kind of loves at all. Agape love is just a self-giving love. Not because you're chasing a feeling, not because you have shared experience, not because you, you have to love this child that you gave birth to. It's just this love that overflows. 
Here's some ways that C.S. Lewis in, in this book, The Four Loves, talks about it. He says, agape love is not an affectionate feeling, but a steady wish for the loved person's ultimate good as far as can be obtained. Okay, so that's, okay, it's a little dry sounding, <laughs> but it's this idea that you want the best for someone, their ultimate good. For us, these natural loves, storge, philia, eros, they, they come because we have this need to connect. We have this need for this romantic feeling. We have this need for this friendship bonding. But C.S. Lewis points out, in God, there is no hunger that needs to be filled. Only a plenteous desire to give. Even, even the best version of this familial love or friendship love or romantic love, it's still, we're still wanting to get something out of that. We, we may love a child, we may love a friend, we may love a romantic partner, but it's this reciprocal love where they're like, where we're getting something out of that too. But agape love is all about the giver. It's not about what the giver receives. In God, there is no hunger that needs to be filled, only plenteous desire to give. And listen to this, God who needs nothing, God who needs nothing, loves into existence wholly superfluous creatures in order that he may love and perfect them. He creates a universe already foreseeing, or should we say seeing, there are no tenses in God, the buzzing cloud of flies about the cross, the flayed back pressed against the uneven stake, the nails driven through the messial nerves, the repeated incipient suffocation as the body droops, the repeated torture of back and arms as it is time after time for breath's sake hitched up. This is the diagram of love himself, the inventor of all loves. This is agape love. God doesn't need us. He doesn't need us to validate his feelings. He just loves. Twice in this passage in 1 John chapter 4, John says, God is love. God loves because he is love. It just pours out of him. It just pours out of him like the water pours over Niagara Falls. So John says, we've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in him. He wants us to know that this love of God is a sacrificial, self-giving love. It's not based on our performance. It's not based on our effort. It's based on the fact that God is love, and love pours out of God. And we need to know and we need to understand this kind of love. Man, we get love twisted, right? all the love songs that have ever been written, if you start going deep on those lyrics, like, people are messed up. <laughs> Hearts get broken, people get used in the name of love. We talk about love-hate relationships, and we all know what that means. Because our version of love, even at its best, leaves a lot to be desired. but not God's love, not agape love. 
We need to know and to understand this love that God has for us. Then in verse 17, it says, in this, love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. The scripture tells us that we can have confidence because of the perfect character of God's love. And this love is made complete so that we may have confidence. That, that God's love is this complete, perfect love. It's lacking nothing. It's wanting nothing. It is complete, and it makes us complete. Because God's love is perfect, it makes us perfect. That we can have confidence because of the perfect character of God's love. Or what our love lacks, God makes up for in Christ. What our love lacks, God makes up for in Christ. His love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence. Now, we've all, um, I have four kids, and there's some days when they love me a lot, and there's some days when, you know, not so much. There's some days when I come home and they say, Dad, it's so good to see you. And there's some days where I come home and I, don't, I can't find them. And there's some days when I come home and I can't find them and my wife says, hey, I need to tell you something. <laughs> and there's a reason that they're hiding from me. And so John starts to develop this idea that if we really understand God's love, he says we can have confidence, but then in verse 18 he says this, there is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. There's sometimes when my kids are afraid because they know they messed up and, and hopefully they're afraid of punishment and not afraid of losing my love. I hope they know that I love them even when they mess up. But let's think about our own lives, right? Man, our, our culture is such a performance-based culture. People love you as long as you do what they want you to do. The boss loves you as long as you perform, right? People love you as long as you can keep doing stuff for them. In our celebrity culture, as long as, as long as you're young and beautiful and as long as you keep putting out music that everybody likes, then people love you. But as soon as you are not the young, hot thing anymore, you become a joke. Right? It's not that they just don't love you anymore. Now they make fun of you. Because our culture is based on performance and and it's in this culture of performance that John says there is a love that is deeper than that. There is a love that is not based on your performance, that is not based on your talent, that is not based on who you were born to or where you were born. It's not based on shared experience. It's not based on warm, fuzzy feelings. It's based on the fact that God is love and he is pouring that love out on you. 
And you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be afraid of losing that love. You don't need to be afraid if he's got enough love left for you. There was a song we used to sing called He Giveth More Grace, and the chorus says, his love has no limit, his grace has no measure, his power has no boundaries known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Doesn't run out. So John says, I want you to understand this love. And then I want you to know that in this love, this agape love, this sacrificial self-giving, unending, undeserved love, in that love you are made complete. Not, not performance love, not do everything right to earn his love. No, 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 no. His agape love, that is the love that makes you complete. So that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. So when we come to understand and experience this love, this agape love, fear loses its power in our lives. We don't have to be afraid of judgment before God because we understand that God loved us and demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He became the atonement or payment for our sins as we just read in 1 John chapter 4. We don't have to be afraid of what other people think about us because if God is for us, who can be against us? We don't have to be afraid of loss in this life. Because God is working all things together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. When we understand the depth of God's love, then we understand that we have nothing to be afraid of, not in life or in death. Because his love and his grace and his goodness is sufficient. So the question this morning is, have you come to experience and understand this kind of love? Have you come to understand and experience this kind of love? Because we get messed up. When we think about God's love, we start to think about God's love in terms of the love that we've experienced in this life. Right? Maybe the love of the family we were born into, which felt a little manipulative sometimes, she felt a little fickle sometimes. She felt a little up and down, hot and cold sometimes. Maybe the love of relationships, friendships. And then somebody stabbed us in the back, betrayed us. Maybe romantic relationships and you've had your heart broken time and time and time again. Maybe you've broken a few hearts too along the way. But none of those things represent the love of God. God's love is deeper and higher and greater than all those things. And this is the love that we're called to understand. 
This is the love that we're called to experience. This is the love that we are called to cling to. This is the love of salvation. This is the love that sent Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Jesus loved his disciples to the very end, it says in the Gospel of John. The very end was the cross. This is the love of God. If you need a deeper understanding of God's love, then I would encourage you this week to read Romans chapter 8. Just like every day. Read it every day. The end of Romans chapter 8 reminds us that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Just read it every day. Just let it seep into your soul. We're called to know and understand this kind of love. And if you've never experienced this kind of love, maybe, maybe you would claim to have a relationship with God, but it's not based on this kind of love. It, you, you feel like you're always performing. You feel like you're trying to earn your own way. Instead of focusing on God's love, you're looking at everybody else around you and you're saying, well, they're not doing it, they're not doing it, they're not doing it, they're not doing it, it can't be real. God's love, his agape love. Not the imperfect love of human beings. And then the chapter ends where he says, we love because he first loved us. He calls us to love our brother and sister. And all that's important. But loving others comes out of understanding his love. And sometimes we get confused and we overcomplicate things and we focus on doing the things, loving people, seeing to it that other people love us the way we should be loved, and we lose sight of the source of true love, agape love. You can't get that stuff until you get this first part. So maybe you've been frustrated. Maybe Thanksgiving was a really frustrating day for you. We have to go back to the source of love. Agape love, supernatural self-giving, unearned, undeserved, unending love. And then when we come to understand that, then, then we can come to see that the love that we're called to love others with is just an overflow of that abundance. The way Niagara Falls pours into the river there just goes and it goes and it goes and it goes. God has enough love to complete you, to fill you, and then for that love to overflow to others. But we have to understand the source of that love. And so this morning, maybe you've never come to a place where you have fallen on the love of God, the love that sent Jesus to be your savior. 
Maybe you've been trying to earn God's love through your effort, through your work. This morning, the only way to God is through Jesus Christ. We just fall on him, call to him, surrender to him. And then his love will complete us. You're trying to complete yourself. You're trying to make yourself whole. You're trying to make yourself worthy. You're trying to earn your way. You're trying to do it. But only his love can complete you. But you got to surrender to it. Maybe you've never come to that place. Today can be the day. In a minute, we're gonna stand, we're gonna sing a song about his love. And as we sing, love to pray with you this morning. I'll be down here in the front, answer any questions you might have. Maybe you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, have understood the love that he has for you, but you're struggling to love others. And this morning, it's not, It's not what you do. It's not working up love in your life. It's allowing his love. It's understanding his love more deeply so that it can overflow. And so this morning, maybe you just need to be reminded of his love for you and ask him, Lord, help your love to overflow out of my life to others. Why don't you stand up with me? God, we love you. As we were reminded this morning, it is only because you first loved us. and you demonstrated love to us through Jesus Christ. And you call us into that love to be completed, to be made perfect, to be made whole through your love. And Lord, we cling to other loves. We try to earn love, we try to create love And Lord, it causes strain in all of our relationships. So Lord, help us, help us this morning to understand, to experience and to accept the love that you have already made available to to each of us. And the Lord, help us to love others out of that love. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. As we sing, I invite you to respond.